What did one have to do to get sent to hell in the Middle Ages? This episode of Footnoting History deals with the life of Guy de Montfort, who earned himself a place in Dante's Inferno with one very brutal act. Hey everyone, Christine here. Today I am going to tell you a story of battles, betrayals, and vengeance in 13th century Europe. On March 13, 1271, there was a murder in the church of San Silvestro in the city of Viterbo, Italy. The victim, Henry Almain, was stabbed to death while hearing Mass. He was 35 years old and in Viterbo for two reasons. First, to partake in the funeral procession for the recently deceased King of France on behalf of the English crown. Second, to negotiate peace with the crown's former adversaries, a pair of brothers, Simon and Guy de Montfort. The murder, of course, prevented either of these things from actually happening. And the murderer? Well, you might have guessed it already, but it was Guy who killed Henry Almain. And he had his brother Simon's help. So much for peace. But what prompted Guy to kill Henry, and in such a sacred place as church, and during Mass? Well, it went like this. Guy and Henry were cousins. Yes, this was a family affair, and both men had illustrious lineage. Guy de Montfort was born circa 1244 to Simon the Earl of Leicester and his wife Eleanor. Guy was their fourth son, and his accomplice, his brother Simon, was one of his elder brothers. Guy's paternal grandfather was a leader of the Albigensian Crusade, a war against heresy in southern France, and his father was, for a time, the most powerful man in England. Henry Almain was about a decade older than Guy, and his parents were Richard of Cornwall, eventual king of the Romans, and his first wife, Isabel Marshall. Henry's maternal grandfather was William Marshall, the trusted associate of no less than five crowned kings of England. But Guy and Henry's shared blood came in the form of Guy's mother Eleanor and Henry's father Richard being siblings. There was another, more famous sibling in this group too, the current King of England, Henry III. Henry III was the older brother of both Richard of Cornwall and Eleanor de Montfort, making him uncle to both our murderer and our victim. You know, if history tells us anything, it's that being related does not remotely guarantee peace and goodwill. Sometimes it's actually quite the opposite. Such was the case here. Guy de Montfort grew up in a time when his father Simon was regularly at odds with Henry III. The conflict, which was actually the subject of one of my first episodes back in the early, early days of footnoting history, involved the barons, led by Simon, having growing grievances against the king and wanting a bigger role in government. Guy was quite young when all of this began, but he, along with his siblings, were staunchly on his father's side. Henry Almain, by contrast, was not staunchly anything. His father was Team Henry III, and Henry Almain himself was quite closely associated with Henry III's heir, the future King Edward I. For those of you who are, you know, keeping track of the family tree at this point, this means that Edward was cousin to both Henry and Guy. But Henry Almain's allegiance to the royalist faction was not permanent. As the conflict between his two uncles increased, Henry changed sides more than once. Although in 1258 he was seen as a royalist, 
1262, he was an open supporter of the Montforts. The following year, while on a trip to France, Henry Almain was captured by a relative-in-law of Henry III. During the ongoing negotiations between the Crown and Montfort supporters, Simon de Montfort demanded and achieved getting Henry Almain released, only to see Henry change sides again and return to the royalist fold. This desertion was not taken well by any members of the Montfort family, Guy included. It has been proposed that Henry promised his uncle Simon that he wouldn't take up arms against him, and that Simon commented in return that it was his loyalty, not his arms, that were lacking. Whether or not this exchange actually occurred, it probably accurately captures the Montfort sentiment. The Montfort struck a major victory against the crown on May 14, 1264, and Guy was a part of it. He had helped command a division of his father's forces in the battle. Given the Montfort's feelings about Henry's changing alliances, Guy was probably very pleased that among those taken captive were both Henry Almain and his father. Guy benefited from this immensely. The victory basically put his father in charge of England. This swing in their favor meant that Guy got rewarded with custody of Cornwall and Devon, lands that hitherto belonged to Henry Almain's father. This was not a shabby prize for a man who was only about 20 years old. But, as tends to be the way, soon the situation turned around. Guy and his brothers gained a reputation for being pretty bad at sharing the wealth. They did little to keep their allies happy, and at least one very important baron openly complained about hating them. Your behavior has to be pretty bad for that to be the case. Meanwhile, Henry Almain's release was negotiated, but he wasn't exactly free. He was sent on diplomatic missions to the French court. Things came to a head in early August 1265, when Simon and his supporters took the field against the crowd at Evesham. Guy took part in the battle, but Henry Almain was abroad on one of his missions and is not believed to have been directly involved. For the Montforts, Evesham was devastating. They were soundly defeated, but the bigger horror was that their father and leader, Simon, was killed, and his body was severely mutilated and his head was paraded around on a pike. The Montforts were immensely traumatized, and the barbaric treatment of their father would stay with them forever. The aftermath of Evesham marked a complete reversal of fortunes for the cousins. Henry Almain was rewarded with grants of land from the crown and enjoyed a good position in Edward's graces, at one point even serving as his representative in Ireland. He had chosen the victorious side. Guy and his brother Simon fared significantly worse, for their entire family was now seen as dangerous. Guy had been injured at Evesham and taken prisoner but he eventually escaped and fled across the channel to France. Simon, who had been too late for the battle to be of any use, also made it to France. Once in France, though, Guy's life turned around. He entered the service of Charles of Anjou, an old friend of his father's and the brother of the French king. Charles welcomed Guy and used him to help in his quest to conquer and rule Naples and Sicily. Guy's rise in Charles's rank came to notice in August of 1268, when he took part in a victory that Charles had on the field in order to gain dominance in Sicily. And following that victory, Guy willingly supported Charles's further securing his power there. This was a wise choice on Guy's part. 
His loyalty was rewarded when Charles granted him control of several important areas of the Kingdom of Naples. Things only got better for Guy from there. He was named Charles's Vicar General in Tuscany in early 1270, and that was quickly followed by marrying Margarita, the daughter and heiress of the most powerful man in southern Tuscany. At the same time as Guy's star was in the ascendant, his cousin Henry was also doing well. He continued his close relations with Prince Edward, and he too married. Henry's wife was Constance, heiress to an area of Gascony. It was a match made to strengthen England's potential ties in the region, but it also likely rubbed the Montforts the wrong way. When their father was alive, he had long been involved in a complicated struggle for that very area, and now Henry Almain had more of a claim to the territory than they did. By the time Guy and Simon saw their cousin in Viterbo, in March of 1271, years had passed, but memories of their father's death had not dimmed. Given Guy's current station in life, he would have been purposely throwing it all away if the murder was planned in advance. After all, this was a very brutal stabbing committed in public. Henry was killed as an act of rage-filled retribution for his desertion of the Montfort family and their cause, and to avenge the death of the Montfort's father. He was even dispatched in a way just as disrespectful and brutal as Simon the Elder. Peace was likely never on the table for Guy and his brother. The news spread through Italy, France, and England, sending shock wherever it was heard. Most of Henry's organs were interred in Viterbo, while his body was put to rest in Gloucestershire, England. Most notably for our purposes, Henry's heart also went to England, where it was interred in Westminster Abbey. With Henry's life being over, you would think his murderers would be too, especially since everyone knew who did it. But that was not what happened. Guy and Simon became fugitives, fleeing Viterbo for Tuscany, where they were hidden by Guy's father-in-law. While there, somewhere near Siena, Simon passed away, still an outcast, within a year or so after the murder. But Guy lived on. His lands were taken from him, and in April of 1273, he was excommunicated by the Catholic Church. That July, Guy submitted to the Pope and was put in a papal prison, but under the custody of Charles of Anjou, which was very convenient. Evidently, Charles's love of Guy was not permanently ruined by the murder, because by 1281, Guy was out of prison and back in his service. Even more impressive is that only two years later, Guy was in charge of a segment of the papal forces. Hardly the horrible life you would expect for a known murderer who had only recently been excommunicated by the same church whose forces he was now in charge of. Nothing, it seemed, could keep Guy down for long. But even he could not escape a bitter ending. In 1287, after Charles of Anjou had died and the Angevin hold on Sicily was lost to the king of Aragon, Guy helped in an attempt to retake it. While at sea, he was captured by the Aragonese and summarily dumped into prison. This time, he would not get out. He languished in prison until he passed away in the early 1290s, when he would have been in his late 40s. The end had finally come for a man who managed to earn esteem and rewards from many very important people, despite being known for murdering his own cousin. Of course, there was one person who thought Guy's actions were unforgivable, and that's Dante. Dante was an Italian poet, perhaps best known today for his Divine Comedy, an impressive work that follows Dante on his journey from hell through purgatory and into paradise or heaven, 
with the Roman poet Virgil as his guide. In part one, The Inferno, Dante's trip through hell involves meeting many different kinds of souls doomed to torment with a punishment created to fit their crime. Each form of crime belongs to one of nine different circles, where all of those guilty of the same type of crime are suffering together. When Dante populated his version of hell, he rather pointedly included Guy de Montfort. Guy's time as Vicar General of Tuscany had coincided with Dante's childhood there. It's even possible that Dante, probably I guess around the age of five, could have been aware of Guy, or even maybe saw him, as Guy would have likely had to visit Florence, Tuscany's major city, and Dante's hometown. Following the murder of Henry Almain, Guy became infamous. I mean, especially in Tuscany where he was hiding. When Dante composed the Inferno in the early 1300s, which was about a decade or so after Guy's death, he had certainly not forgotten the scandal, nor, in all likelihood, Guy's reascendance after it. And he certainly does not appear to have believed that Guy should be forgiven for the murder he committed. If he did, hell is probably not where Guy would have been placed. So, out of the nine circles of hell, Dante placed Guy in the seventh. This is the circle where the violent resided. This circle first appears in Canto 12, if you want to look it up or follow the link to it on our website. It is filled with a massive circular river of boiling blood. Super pleasant. And it's guarded by centaurs, definitely a setup for some good times. The violent, which are many different kinds of people, are submerged in this river of blood to different levels depending on how horrible their crime was. Our Guy, being a violent murderer, is submerged in the blood up to his throat. While he is never named, he is given an identifying description. That description is provided by the centaur Nessus in the following passage. A little farther on, the centaur stopped above a group that seemed to rise above the boiling blood as far up as their throats. He pointed out one shade, alone, apart, and said, Within God's bosom, he impaled the heart that still drips blood upon the Thames. Of course, we know, Henry Almain, whose heart was interred right above the River Thames in Westminster Abbey, was murdered in a church, God's bosom, during Mass. So it was he whose heart drips the blood upon the river. And therefore, that one shade, alone and apart, even from the others, in the boiling blood river, is the condemned Guy de Montfort. And so, much like Dante did as he continued his journey, we will leave Guy de Montfort here. For better or for worse, he will always be remembered and associated with the act of revenge that ended his cousin's life and was recalled by Dante, even if many of his contemporaries forgave him. This has been Footnoting History. If you like the podcast, be sure to visit our website, footnotinghistory.com, where you can find links to further reading suggestions related to this week's episode, as well as a calendar of upcoming podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at History Footnote. Until next time, remember, the best stories are always in the footnotes.